If money affects your life in any way, Money Making Sense will talk about it. Be financially healthy, wealthy, and wise. Here's your host, Heather Kelly. Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're talking about a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill that was passed in the United States and the U.S. Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, is making the rounds across the U.S. to talk about where some of this money is going on the local level. I had the chance to talk to him face-to-face today, as well as at a press conference. So you're going to hear our conversation that I had, plus a few of his answers at the press conference to different questions that were given. So hopefully you're going to learn a little bit more about where your tax dollars are going and what they're to be used for. And to me, the best news of all is that this is a bipartisan bill that was passed. It's very hard to get anything passed these days. And I'm just happy both sides were able to come together and get something going. I am joined today by Secretary Pete Buttigieg, and you're the Secretary of Transportation. You're in Utah right now because you've just announced a $1.2 trillion package that is to be spread out across the states. My first question is, Will are, is this money being spread out amongst just the 50 states or also the 14 U.S. territories? So uh, this money will benefit every state and territory in the country in different ways. Today we're focused on the $7.3 billion specifically for resilience, making sure that infrastructure is going to be better prepared for extreme weather events. And it's different in every region, but certainly a lot of the uh, importance of that is felt here in the West. So I know in our earlier press conference, both you and Governor Cox discussed that when there's floods, roadways get washed out. If it's really hot, we have uh, railways that the train tracks are buckling. So, uh, you know, transit is uh, at risk, too. A good example is Portland, where they had to shut down the the whole system because they were approaching 115-degree heat, and the cables were literally at risk of melting. Uh, So we're really looking at every kind of of infrastructure that that could be vulnerable here, within certain boundaries laid out by the bipartisan infrastructure law. And the threats are different in in different places. Uh, But what we've seen is there's no part of America that's immune to this. And so uh, we've got to do everything we can to plan for the future. And if a road's washing out, each year and you're putting it back the same way each year, uh, it's time for us to help you do something different. So that's a huge problem with any, any, not just people who want to get around, but are freight. That's right. The impacts of these climate emergencies, they're not theoretical. They're not predicted for the future. They have happened and they are accelerating. It's hitting transit. It's hitting roads. It's hitting every form of transportation you can imagine. That's exactly why we need to prepare and build for a better future. Not only do we have to fight to reduce climate change from uh, hitting its worst possible outcomes, we also have to contend with what's happening around us right now. We're seeing the fires, the floods, the droughts, and the right answer for how to build a road or where to build a road in the 1950s is going to be very different from what the right answer will be in the 2050s. It's time to look ahead and we have funding to do that. We're here in Parley's Canyon where we had a pretty big fire last year and there were mass evacuations. The problem is it's really hard to expand the roadway in and out of this area because we're sort of boxed in by two mountains. So how would you improve a roadway like that here to try to get more people in and out if there is an emergency. 
That's right. When you have a highway in a canyon, a lot of times you don't have a lot of other places to go and there's not a lot of alternatives. So sometimes it's about making sure there's a more robust level of protection for that piece of infrastructure itself. Other times it's making sure that there's something you add to it in order to make it safer. Uh, For example, uh, uh, the state transportation officials here were just explaining to me how the existence of a wildlife crossing bridge uh, actually made it easier to safely transport water by helicopter over the roadway uh, without having to close it down because there was a way to run it uh, over the uh, the footprint of that bridge uh, so that it didn't endanger any any passing traffic. They were actually able to keep I-80 moving, although at one lane, uh, during that crisis, which is different from what, what I've seen in other areas where they actually had to shut down a similar road completely, which of course meant huge disruptions, even bigger disruptions than what happened for supply chains and passengers. We just had to worry about taking out some animals that might be on the bridge. Well, what it meant was that uh, instead of having to shut down the, the interstate altogether for, uh, uh, for safety protocols, uh, they could go ahead and run it uh, using, exactly, using that kind of right-of-way over the wildlife crossing. So that's to say there are a lot of different shapes and forms for resilience. Look, in California, they're talking about seismic retrofits, completely different conversation than the Midwest where I come from, where we're mostly asking whether we should put the same roads in the same places, given that the floodplains are moving. Uh, It's going to be different in every state. That's exactly why we're funding every state. All right. So speaking of that, I understand the funding for each state is based on a formula. So I did some math. So if we were just to break out the, the infrastructure bill of the $804 billion that would be allocated to each state, if we divvied that up equally, it comes out to $12,562,000,000 approximately. But not each state is getting an equal amount. So how do you decide on that formula? That's right. The formula is set by Congress, and uh, it's got some nuance to it. So it depends on uh, what kind of assets there are and how much they're used. Uh, I believe for Utah, for example, uh, if memory serves me correctly, over $500 million for public transit alone. Uh, the figure for roads is in the billions, uh, and I think upwards of $50 million for the, uh, the resilience. But we also have a discretionary set of funds. That means communities that have an idea that maybe falls outside of these formulas uh, can come to us at the Department of Transportation with an idea, with a proposal, and we will fund as many qualifying ideas as we can. Sometimes that's an airport improvement, uh, sometimes that's a a neighborhood improvement, everything in between. Have you been looking at some of the technological advances that Europe has been doing with their roadways? I know up in Sweden, where they don't have a lot of daylight, they're they're actually putting solar panels in the the road. Yeah, there's some fascinating work happening internationally. Uh, I spent a little time earlier this year in Europe at a gathering of transportation ministers and secretaries, my counterparts from around the world. And it's important for us to share those innovations that are making a difference, whether we're talking about uh, clean transportation and electrification, or whether we're talking about disaster preparedness and road safety. What is most important on the administration's list right now? Because this infrastructure bill can cover everything, but if there was one thing that they had to pick, if for some reason all of a sudden the money, some of the money dried up or the next Congress vetoed some of it somehow, 
what would be the one thing that this administration would want to get taken care of? When it comes to transportation, our number one priority is always safety. Uh, we've got uh, everything from fire safety concerns here in the West to 100-year-old roads and bridges in the East that, uh, uh, that are in danger and everything in between. And most of the things that we're doing are going to benefit, uh, yes, uh, convenience, yes, jobs, yes, climate, yes, equity, but uh, above all, safety for everybody. And here in Utah, Governor Cox talked about he wants to use a lot of this money to improve bridges and roadways. So uh, I do think there, there's never been a program like this. And, and I think across the five-year life of this program, we will learn lessons about what a likely next generation of investments might need to look like. We're contemplating everything from uh, hurricane evacuation routes that are important in the Carolinas uh, to uh, uh, flood resilience and drought resilience. And, and to the governor's point, sometimes the flood and drought concerns are happening in the same place because you're seeing more and more of the extremes. Some things that are actually uh, not related to weather but are a matter of resilience, like seismic preparedness that, that are important uh, for, for bridges and other assets. Uh, so, uh, you know, part of what was built into the flexibility of this program, the fact that this uh, uh, $7.3 billion is going out by formula to the states, is that we don't have all the answers in Washington about what this should look like. We're looking to the states to propose what's going to make the most sense for them. And I think we'll learn a great deal from what comes uh, up from around the country. More importantly for him, it's culverts in case mm -hmm. we do have flooding because of the fires we've been having, any rain that does come can just wash out the roadway. That's right. All of these things are connected. So when you have a, a, a mountainside ravaged by a fire and then it's followed by a lot of rain, that could lead to a mudslide or a flash flood. Uh, sometimes it's uh, how you build the road. Sometimes it's what you build around the road or under the road. And the culverts, uh, when they're placed in the right way, can really add to the survivability and the, uh, the durability of a, an asset like a highway. And then what would be the second biggest thing to to do besides safety. Well, we do see a huge opportunity right now to create and support good-paying jobs. Uh, you know, this is a major economic driver, and uh, a focus for us is, is to make sure that when we talk about preparing for climate change, uh, that we're doing that in a way that creates even more jobs. There's big uh, industry here. There's big job creation to be had in outfitting our transportation infrastructure for the future, and uh, I'm excited about what that means in every part of the country. Is that how if we ramp down our dependency on oil, I should say, if we move jobs into these other industries is that what we're trying to do? Yeah, people who work in energy may find that the energy they're working with will shift just as the country is shifting from more of a reliance on hydrocarbons to more of a reliance on renewable or other sources. But we're still going to need uh, more than ever those workers, their skills, and their talents. And there's going to be a lot of opportunity here. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Mr. Thank you. Judge. I appreciate your time today. Good to be with you. Thanks. Thanks for listening. You can email me with any questions or topics you want to hear about at hkelly at ksl.com. That's h-k-e-l-l-y at ksl.com. And because this is Money Making Sense, you can subscribe for free on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts, and you'll never miss another episode. Thanks for being a Money Making Sense listener. Follow your common sense on the social media, Money Making Sense, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.